We're going to finish up what we've started last week and then um, talk a little bit more about uh, leaders in, as in the community and then we'll be done. <clears throat> and I think that the ladies would probably appreciate it if we got out there first and sampled the sandwiches you know, before they got finished. Don't you guys think? We wouldn't want them to get sick. Yeah, you know, taste, taste testing sort of. So, no. We'll let Bob do that. Contaminated. <laughs> I'll do that for food, food inspector. Yeah, we'll let, we'll let Bob handle that. <laughs> All right. So, we're going to be in Psalm 128 tonight. Uh, kind of looking at that as an outline for us. So go ahead and turn there, if you will. Um, and we'll, that'll really be for the second part of our study. But you can go ahead and get there. And then we'll be, it'll be ready to go whenever we get there. Um, but last week we talked about... Uh, uh, men's role in the church, uh, headship in the church, and we've gotten to talking about the role and how that kind of works itself out. Uh, we talked about how we work and serving in the church, having leadership responsibility, and uh, kind of talked about the difference between uh, 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 male and female in the church and the role of authority in the church. Um, had some good discussion on women teaching and, and different things. Um, today I want to continue uh, talking about those roles. Kayla, would you go shut that door? Appreciate it. Um, talk about men's role in the church, uh, honing in on our two last uh, roles in the men's mandate. Remember, men's mandate is to work, to watch, and to worship. That's what God created us for. And so in the church, uh, how are we supposed to, uh, to watch? That's what we want to kind of hone in here first. Um, and so first thing is this. As in the home, men are to stand between the world and the, and the body. And so... Um, just as in the home we're in a place of protection, um, uh, we are to stand between the world and the body, being the church, the church body. And what that means is that we have to guard the, the teachings and the practices of the church. Um, and so that's that, that's that next part. We're supposed to protect the practice of the church and protect the doctrine of the church. Um, in our, the way that we are wired... Um, as sinful humans, not the way that God created us, but the way that sin has tarnished us, is we're, we're always digressing by nature in our morality. Um, if you just let, if you take religion, or I'll say religion, mostly Christianity, but if you even just take religion out of the picture and just let people do their own thing without any reference to God or to any kind of divine uh, you know, sovereignty or divine something above them, they will naturally tend towards less and less moral behavior. Um, and that's what we see going on in our, uh, in our culture. But if we don't watch out, that'll also go on in the church. Uh, that's why we see denominations today who are openly embracing uh, homosexual lifestyles, uh, not from just the standpoint of loving all people, because we're all, God tells us to love all people. Love, uh, you know, he's talking to the, uh, Jesus talking to the, to the Jewish people. He said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Uh, now, we don't want to look outside and see people who are living immoral lifestyles as enemies, uh, but they don't follow Christian beliefs, and that doesn't mean we exclude them. We need to, to still welcome them into a church uh, uh, worship service, into church activities, um, you know, things going on within the church to try to uh, encourage them and model for them uh, right morality, right living, uh, with the hopes that they come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior, are born again, uh, remove themselves from that lifestyle and are joined into the church fellowship and actually become a member of the church. But um, <clears throat> there are churches now who are just embracing uh, 
practicing homosexuals as actual church members, uh, saying that they can be uh, active in the church rather than holding them accountable for their sin and, and enacting church discipline. Um, some denominations are ordaining homosexual ministers. Um, there is a, a story right now of, uh, and I can't remember what, what denomination it is, uh, but there is a, uh, there is a, I believe it's a female pastor who is converting to become a man, and the church has agreed to ordain her once she becomes a man as a, a pastor in that denomination. And so not only are we embracing, some of these denominations are embracing homosexuality, they're embracing the transgender movement, and um, not just allowing it into the fellowship, but also just putting it up on a pedestal and saying, one of our pastors, we, we agree with this so much, we're allowing our pastor to be a transgender you know, person. Um, and so if we don't watch out, these practices of the church, these doctrines of the church, get tainted. Uh, Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, As I urged you when we went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus so that you may instruct certain people not to teach false doctrine or to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies. These promote empty speculations rather than God's plan, which operates by faith. Now the goal of our instruction is love that comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, a sincere faith. Some have departed from these and turned aside to fruitless discussion. They want to be teachers of the law, although they don't understand what they are saying or what they're insisting on. And so Paul, even early on in the church, I mean, you think about this. This is within the first uh, you know, generation, generation and a half of the church. He's already having to warn some of his key leaders, his key men, be careful about false teachings. Be careful about people coming in and trying to be underhanded or trying to get you off on uh, discussions that don't mean anything, you know, that are, that are myths, genealogies, um, fruitless discussion. Uh, we're really good. We're, you know, we let ourselves get off on those tracks if we don't watch out. Um, and one of the hot topic debates, even right now in, in 2000, uh, 2018, is the uh, uh, Calvinism. Uh, what, to what extent uh, does grace cover all people or just the ones who are elect? Um, to what extent does uh, God's sovereignty and predestination um, match up with human free will? Um, this is a debate that's been going on in Baptist churches all the way back into you know, the 1700s, 1800s. Um, and so this is nothing new, um, but books continue to be published and poured out and poured out and poured out on uh, this debate about Calvinism, um, whether it's, it's right or not. Um, and I don't know if that's fruitful. I mean, it's good to talk about theology, and this is just coming from, you know, this is, uh, you know, a discussion that's not, not a, lot, a lot of people don't really get into. But I don't, I don't know that it's, it's good to talk about theology. It's good to really study the Scripture, really try to understand what it means. But we've been arguing about Calvinism for 300 years. Yeah. If we haven't figured it out yet, then I don't think God wanted us to. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I, I can't remember who to was. I want to say it's like Charles Spurgeon or somebody like that was asked, you know, how do you reconcile human free will and, and God's predestination? And he said, I don't. You don't have to, you don't have to reconcile friends. You know, there are two things that work together. Um, I've heard it said that whenever you get to heaven, you're going to look at the gate and it says, all who may come, or all who will come may enter. And when you walk through the gates, you turn around and look, it'll say, chosen from the foundation of the world. And, I've, you know, they just, they mix together. But we spend a lot of time arguing about these things. While people out there who know nothing about it and all they need to know is that salvation is available are going to hell. And so, you know, as men, 
I believe we need to focus on making sure that the true doctrines of the church, the, 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 the practices of the church, the doctrines of the church that are essential to our faith are taught and are protected. So salvation is by grace through faith alone in Jesus Christ. That's the, that's the nutshell of salvation right there. Did God predestine that? I don't know. Do we have absolute free will? I don't know. But I know that salvation is in Jesus Christ, that no one comes to the Father except through Him. And so that's what we need to, to, to focus on. Sorry, I kind of went off on a tangent there. I don't know where that came from. So, <laughs> so uh, anyway, we need to, as men, that's, that's our responsibility. Uh, we've been given the authority in the church, the uh, teaching authority, the directional authority, so we have to protect those things. Um, he also said to Timothy, in 1 Timothy 6, Timothy, guard what's been entrusted to you, avoiding irreverent and empty speech and contradictions from what is falsely called knowledge. By professing it, some people have departed from the faith. And I do believe that this is what's happening um, in our churches today. Um, when people say, uh, I believe that, uh, they'll say things like, well, my Jesus would never exclude somebody because they're homosexual. My Jesus would never exclude somebody because they're transgender. My Jesus would never exclude somebody because they live this immoral lifestyle. Uh, well, I don't know who your Jesus is, but our Jesus is in the Bible. And if the Bible says it, that's what we have to go by. And so some people think, well, they've been more enlightened than people in the past, um, but the Scripture is our basis, and that's what we have to go by. Pastor, just, yes. just to interject something here, you know, people say, my Jesus wouldn't exclude. It's not it's not Jesus excluding them. They're excluding themselves by not adhering to the truths of Scripture. Right. You know, they're, they're trying to blame God for their choice. Mm -hmm. And and their, their choice is to go directly opposed to what Scripture tell, tells mm -hmm. them to do or, or not do, and, and yet, uh, you right. know, they want to blame it on God. Yeah. And, and, we, and it's a, you know, it's, it's really just a question of authority and a question of... Uh, Redefining based on our perception of how we think things should be. I mean, imagine if a, you know, you're doing 60 and 40, and a police officer pulls you pulls you over. He comes up and he says, you know, Rusty, I'm going to give you a ticket. You say, well, my policeman wouldn't give me a ticket for going 60 or 40. He would have more grace than that. Well, he would say, well, this policeman's about to give you a ticket because that's what the law says, you know. And uh, you know, we we not, we don't redefine logical things like that. You know, my judge would never commit, convict me for murder. You know, he, he would have grace on me for that. Yeah, go on your judge. Yeah, <laughs> this, isn't, this isn't your judge. This is our judge, you know, and he's going to treat us all the same. It's the same with Scripture. This isn't, this isn't your Jesus. This is the world's Jesus. He gave himself for the world. And, and uh, yeah, that's, that's good, Rusty. Thank you. All right, so that kind of is our role as men watching in the church, protecting the doctrines, protecting the, the practices in the church. Um, but we're also supposed to be leaders in worship. Uh, men's role is in leading uh, in worship. Um, and let me just add a, a caveat here. Um, I, I can't say with authority that women should or should not lead worship in a church. Um, I do believe women do, should not hold the role of pastor. Um, there is an element of pastoral leadership in music ministry um, and so I can't say that I've come down hard on a, on a decision on this for my own personal life or personal edification um, but uh, I do believe that men should be the key leaders in worship um, whenever if, uh, if you ask me 
who our worship leader is in our church, um, I'll, I'll tell you that I'm our worship leader. And that's because I'm the pastor of the church. And so God's given me the responsibility to make sure that everything in the worship service honors and glorifies Him. Because the worship is not just the music. The worship is the announcements and the baptism and the offering and the message and the invitation. Um, but Brother Gary is our music minister. does a fantastic job at that. Um, that's, his, that's his role there. Um, some, some churches uh, term it worship pastor, you know, or something like that. But I believe the worship pastor is that, is that whole pastor. Um, but uh, Gary is our music minister, and he's up there leading us in worship, leading us to the throne. Um, and I believe that men should, should worship not only up front, like Gary does, but also in the congregation. Um, one thing that I, I, I enjoy every, every once in a while, you know, I'll turn around and look at, look at people worshiping, or I'll come in from the back and, and see. Um, I don't see in our church something that I grew up seeing in churches, in, you know, uh, good old Baptist churches, is men sitting down or men not singing in church. Now, I'm sure there's somebody in there that I just haven't seen that doesn't sing. Um, but it seemed like I saw a lot of that growing up. You know, just gruff old man or a grumpy man, you know, and just, you know, women, children can sing, but I'm not going to or something like that. I don't see that in our church. And I love that because I love seeing our men engaged in worship. Uh, you know, I sit right in front of uh, Terry Wynn, and, uh, man, he's always the first one to, amen, you know, right after a good song or, or something like that. And, uh, and he just does it so manly. I mean, y'all y- 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 are going to all look this Sunday, you know. <laughs> but Terry kind of sits there, you know, with his, his boots and his coat, you know. Amen. You know, he just, I you know, there's something manly about it, I don't know. You know, Willis is always one of them, you know. He's one of those first ones, amen, you know, loud and proud, you know, right after, uh, right after somebody sings. And, um, uh, but, you know, that's, that is the men in the congregation leading in worship. And I, I love that. And, uh, and I believe that, our kids need to see other men singing praises to God um, and seeing our men having the freedom to, to worship how they desire to. Um, yeah, I'm not a hand raiser. Every once in a while, if I'm just really moved by the Spirit, I'll, I'll raise my hand you know, or something like that. Yeah, I, you know, I might, do, might do this, you know, mm-hmm. you know, something like that. There's a video I have to show you all sometime about <laughs> different hand positions. That's hilarious. Um, but, you know, sometimes, sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. Uh, there's some people that as soon as the music starts, both hands are up in the air, and that's absolutely fine. I want my kids to see all those different aspects. Uh, you know, Rusty sits right behind my family and a couple rows back, and man, Preston, he he's doing oh, yeah. this every you know every every week. You know, he, he's he's into it. He told me one Sunday, and we were on the way home. He said, "Dad, I had a realization today. The drum is the most important part of the worship team." <laughs> <laughs> And he got drums for Christmas, so maybe he'll he'll be that important part. But you know, he's he's active and he's into it. Um, uh, our men need to be leading in worship, not just on the stage, which Gary does. And he does a fantastic job. We've got Boogie up there, and, and Dennis, and Chris, and Dave, and Dan Daniel. Um, but uh, but men need to be leading in the congregation as well in song um, during the time of offering. Uh, one thing that you know, our church is unique, and I've never seen a Thinking, I don't think I've ever seen a church where, you know, our men feel comfortable enough and confident enough to, to add to the worship service through just saying something for 30 seconds or something right before the prayer time for the offering. Um, and uh, you know, that took me a little while to get used to that because you know, it's something I wasn't used to. Uh, but it's always full of wisdom, you know, whenever 
one of you guys applies something that we sang in a song to something that Brother David said last week or to something they read in the Bible this week. Um, that's just, that's worship. That's tying everything together. And that's our men leading in those capacities. Um, so men should lead in, in worship in a, a, a front and congregation. Um, a church with strong male headship glorifies God for two in two ways. Um, it models Christ's headship. Um, Christ is our head, head as, as the, of the church, is, is Jesus Christ. And so um, <clears throat> a church during uh, a time of worship, it, it, having good male leadership in our church glorifies God. Because what it does is it creates an imperfect, you know, it is imperfect, but it creates a picture of how the original order was supposed to be. You had God who was our head, who was the head of Adam, who was the head of his wife, um, and that's how it's supposed to be. And with Christ as our head and men as heads of the church and then uh, the rest of the people following along behind or in, in step, that shows a glimpse of that divine order and how things are supposed to work. Um, and so I think it glorifies God, it models God's headship, and it obeys God's word. Anytime we obey God's word, that is an act of worship. Um, we are living according to what he has said. We're living in obedience to his word. That is worship because it, it is nuts and bolts. The word worship means worth. What is something worth? And if God is worth our allegiance, then he's worth obeying. That's showing that he is the ultimate in devotion. He, he is what uh, our obedience to him shows his worth and his value. A couple of manly examples. The Ephesian elders, you know, when Paul was making his way back to Jerusalem, he called all the elders together um, from Ephesus uh, to say goodbye, basically. Um, and uh, they came to him, they wept with him, they ministered to him. Uh, those, those men, uh, I just believe that uh, those elders give us a good picture of, of men of passion and men of integrity who loved Paul, who were willing to say, to disagree with him on something that they thought he should change. You know, they said, no, don't go to Jerusalem, they're going to kill you. But he knew that that was the path. And so when he said that's God's path and they embraced him, they prayed for him, and they sent him on his way. And that's what men need to do. We need to have the boldness to say, hey, look, you don't need to do that. You don't need to be, I really feel like this is a bad decision. And, um, and then pray with the, that person, whatever their decision is made. Um, some mainly examples this side of the Bible is men of Greenacre South. I am so proud of the men at our church. Um, our men lead in our church, and I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that we have strong women leaders, but we have very strong uh, male leadership. And I'm thankful that um, the ladies in our church seem to respond well to our male leadership. Uh, we don't have men in leadership who are jerks, who are domineering, who are overpowering. Um, I believe that because of the strength of the male leadership in our church, women in our church have been able to rise up and have strong leadership. And uh, I'm really thankful for that. And so we're supposed to be leaders in the church, but let's talk about how this is supposed to impact the community as well. Because um, we, uh, we can't just keep it in the church. Um, men's faith and leadership cannot stay at home or at the church. It must impact the community. If we are not getting into the community... Um, and taking what we know and what our faith is into the community, then we are missing out. We are not doing everything that we've been called to do as, as men and as the church. Um, and so that just means that we can't stay inside these walls. Uh, we have to get out there and get active. 
so, you know, and, and we do that. I know here at Green Acres Health, we do that. We've got people who do that naturally. Rusty is, is a teacher. He's taking his ministry into the schools there in Brownsboro, and he's ministering those, to those kids. Um, here in a few weeks, we're going to have the uh, egg hunt, the family day and egg hunt. That is taking our faith into the community. Um, one of the things that they said this year with the egg hunt, they're going to be much more intentional about sharing the gospel. Uh, they've always had speakers, you know, I'll get up there and, and talk about faith, and uh, the, the senators and stuff do that as well. Um, uh, Chaplain Doug said that he is going to get up there and give a very intentional message of gospel salvation this time. He said they've kind of encouraged people to plug into a church and stuff like that, but this time they're really going to go and just go for the heart of the gospel. Um, and I believe that that's just a couple of examples of how we as a church are, are trying to impact the community. And so we as men have to get out there and be involved. Um, and a lot of churches these days, uh, women lead in these kind of a, a, avenues, uh, getting out to the community and making a difference there. Uh, but I do, I do believe we're doing well in getting our men, uh, getting them out and getting them active. Uh, let's read Psalm 128 real quick. And this will kind of give our, our outline for the day. <clears throat> for the second part. Psalm 128, verses 1 through 6, the whole thing. How happy is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. You will surely eat what your hands have worked for. You will be happy, and it will go well for you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children like young olive trees around your table. In this very way, the man who fears the Lord will be blessed. May the Lord bless you from Zion, so that you will see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life, and will see your children's children. Now, I can't take credit for this insight. I was reading a book by Dr. Tony Evans, um, and he kind of laid this out. Um, but I think it's interesting that we see impact uh, uh, of, of men in leadership in this. Uh, we can parallel it here from this verse. First of all, it says, verse 1, How happy is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You will surely eat what your hands have worked for. You will be happy, and it will go well for you. And so what God is saying is that a man underneath the leadership of God, underneath the leadership now of Jesus Christ, is going to be blessed. And so in our personal life, if we're living in obedience to Christ, we're going to experience the blessings of that life. And then it goes on to say, verse 3, your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. And so as you align yourself under God's leadership and are faithful to Him, then the relationship with your wife is going to be stronger. So your marriage life is going to be stronger. It's going to be uh, uh, more purposeful and, and directed by the Lord. It says in verse 3, your children like young olive trees around your table. And so as your marriage is strengthened, your children are going to be strengthened. And he says, in this very way, the man who fears the Lord will be blessed. Verse 5, may the Lord bless you from Zion. Can anybody tell me what does Zion represent in the Old Testament? They would, they would go, they would say, let's go up to Mount Zion. Yeah, it was, it was the pinnacle of, of the mountain there in Jerusalem. And right there, your brother David talked about it on Sunday. Right there was the temple. That's, you know, the, the temple was in that area. And Zion was always kind of seen as this dwelling place of God, you know, where God dwelled. And, um, <clears throat> and so uh, that's almost like saying, may the Lord bless you from his location or where he chooses to dwell. And, uh, and God dwells within us now. We are the temple. And then whenever... The temple comes together. You know, the New Testament talks about uh, God's temple being a, a temple that is built up by living stones, equating us to those living stones. And so there's a, there's a sense in which God's 
presence inhabits the gathering of his people. Um, you know, he's with us at all times, but it's almost like it's even stronger when we come together. And so I believe what Dr. Evans was saying is that he thinks that this is God showing that the Lord is going to pour out blessings uh, upon the gathering of his people whenever people are living under obedience to him. Um, that God's going to bless you from his dwelling place there with the people. And then he says, so that you will see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life and will see your children's children. And so that last part just talks about the blessing of the Lord on the community. So as men are in relationship with God and that is blessed and it blesses their wife and their family and their church, their community will be impacted as well. And so Jerusalem and our, or our community will be blessed by our obedience and our faithfulness to God. And so we need to embrace those roles. Um, this next part on your, on your page there, a lack of biblical men embracing their God-given responsibilities can destroy a nation. And this is, a, this is something important for us to see. Look at this, Malachi 4, 4 through 6. <clears throat> it says, Remember the instruction of Moses, my servant, the statutes and ordinances I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Look, I'm going to send you the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. So I want you to see what this last part says. It says, He will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. That is a restoration of the family. That's the fathers becoming concerned about their kids and kids responding to the heart of their dads. That's what that says. So what he's saying is that he will turn, uh, he will uh, bring uh, reconciliation to the family. He will bring reunification to the family. He will bring restoration to the family unit. And he says, otherwise, if this doesn't happen, I will come and strike the land with a curse. And so there's a sense here in the last verse of the, New, of the Old Testament that if families aren't reconciled underneath the leadership of God, because he's sending a prophet to tell them to do this, and uh, it's all based on the statutes and the ordinances and the commands that he gave Moses, if the families are not reunited underneath the leadership of God and on the word of God, the civilization is going to suffer. The, the <laughs> land, the, that, that place of their homeland, that, that community is going to suffer when families are not united underneath the lordship of God. And so we as men have to embrace our role as really the key element that is holding our nation together. When you think about that, when, when families begin breaking down, our nation breaks down. Gary and I talked about this at lunch today. You know, just some of the things he has to deal with at school. And Rusty, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Where you have boys who don't know how to act like boys because they don't have a dad in the home to teach them how to be men. And you have girls that are doing anything they can to get a male's attention because they have no positive influence at home from a dad who loves them and who cherishes them and who tells them you're a princess and you have value. They're willing to give their bodies away to anybody who will give them some attention because there's something within a woman that desires that. And it was, it was made that way from creation. And so when men are out of the picture, we lose this balance. Um, <clears throat> I didn't... Let me get to the next thing here. And so what we need to do is be active. So men are to be active in helping their society become better. We as men have to be active in doing this. It's not something we can just sit by and 
yell at Fox News uh, about. Um, it's not something we can just, you know, read the paper and think, you know, the world's going to hell in a handbasket and, and say, God, how are you, what are you going to do? You know, everything's going downhill. Well, God's saying, well, I'll put some stuff in the world to stop you from going downhill, but you're sitting on the couch. <laughs> you know, get up and, and, and make a difference. Men are to be active in helping their society become better. I love this verse in Jeremiah 29, 7. It says, this is, Israelites had been taken out to Babylon. They were in captivity. And God says, hey, look, plant gardens, make a life, have a job, have a business, make, make a life for yourself, prosper, succeed. And he says this, pursue the well-being of the city I've deported you to. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for when it thrives, you will thrive. So you think about that. The success, our success, our thriving, is tied to our country's thriving and to our civilization's thriving. And we know that. And we know that whenever the economy goes up, our retirement amount goes up. Uh, when the economy goes up, people around us make more money. We make more money. We know, we know how the economy stuff works. Uh, we can't sit on our religious circles and say we don't care. You know, we care. We know we want the economy to do well. We as believers, as men in the civilization, in the community, we need to be uh, pushing the community forward, seeking the welfare of the community. That means getting out and voting for people who are going to do the best job uh, for, our, for our community, for our country. We have two priorities. Number one, they need to honor, honor God. I believe that God can use a knucklehead who loves him a lot more than he can use somebody who's brilliant who doesn't love him. Um, there's a lot of knuckleheads that have done a lot of good things for the Lord because they were willing to be used by the Lord. And so we vote number one based on somebody who loves the Lord. But if there's two men who love the Lord, then vote for the best one, the one who has the most capabilities, you know, to, to lead our country well. And then we need to get out and be active in pursuing and, and seeking the welfare of our community. One of the things I did in college that I loved was being a big brother for a, you know, a young man who didn't have a dad, you know, in his home. And um, I would go pick him up, you know, every other week or something like that, and we'd go get some ice cream or something, maybe take him to get something at Walmart if he needed something at Walmart. We'd, we'd come back to the school, and a bunch of other guys with their big bro little brothers would get out, we'd play football, and we'd just be men with them. And that's something that they didn't have. Um, and that's a way that we can impact the world around us. Right now, I've got four of those on my own. You know, and one of the ways that I'm going to try to impact the world is I'm going to cover myself into those four kids. Um, you know, the passage of Scripture in Psalms, or Psalms of Proverbs, sorry, I can't remember, but, uh, you know, blessed is the man, uh, children are like arrows in the hand of a warrior. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. But what are arrows supposed to be used for? Stay in your quiver? No. What do you do whenever you, you need an arrow? You pull it out, pull it back, and let it go, right? It goes flying out to accomplish a purpose. That's what I see myself as doing. I'm raising up four arrows. I want to be as good, accurate, strong arrows as I can. So because eventually I'm going to have to pull them back and shoot them off into the world. And when I do, I want them to make a difference. I'm sorry. I want them to make a difference. I want them to impact and make a, and make a fulfill their purpose. And so um, anyway, we need to uh, be active in that. Men should lead first by taking responsibility for themselves than for those that they have influence over. This is what Ezra did, Ezra 7.10. It says, Now Ezra had determined in his heart to study the law of the Lord, to obey it, and to teach its statutes and ordinances in Israel. And so he determined, first of all, I'm going to live for God. And then he said, and then I'm going to teach others in my community to live for him too. 
And that's what that's what men do. Men love God with all their heart, and then they love others as themselves. And so, you know, I, this is probably stretching the application, okay? I'm out on a mute recording on this part. But you think about that. So love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love, you love your neighbor as yourself. And so if the number one thing for you to do, for you to be the best person you could be, is to love God, and you're supposed to love your neighbor as you would yourself, then the number one thing that you can do for your neighbor is to teach him to love God. You know? I mean, that's just a kind of a, a realization I had today, you know, um, that we're proving our love for ourselves by loving him. Well, let's prove our love for our neighbor by teaching them the same way we're loving ourselves. Love God. And so, you know, that, that's what Ezra was doing. He had determined in his heart to study the law of the Lord, to obey it, and then to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. Um, and so I'm thankful that men in our church are teaching classes and, um, you know, discipling people. You know, Rusty's teaching uh, youth back there. Uh, Ramey's, we got Ramey back. He's doing a great job with the adult class. And um, I'm glad that we had Stephen filling in. Um, we've got, uh, you know, Matt, who teaches the, the class over here, does a fantastic job. And Billy teaches over here. Uh, uh, Boogie does a great job with our youth. Right now we've got Kurt back here teaching with his wife Amy, teaching the kids. On Sunday mornings, Brother Ed is back there teaching the older, the older kids in the kids' ministry. I'm glad that we have men in these roles uh, who are leading in these groups um, because you are modeling what it means to lead in a church. Yes, sir. I wish, you know, we several of us men meet every Sunday praying. I'd like to see this room full of men back here praying. Amen. Pray the, whole, the whole service. There's been a lot of great churches mm-hmm. that have grown up doing that. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And that's something that we need to emphasize. You know, I, um, <clears throat> uh, you know, I haven't, I haven't been coming back when you guys are praying because I'm trying to greet guests and everything. But God kind of burdened me about that even this week. You know that I need to come back here more often to pray with you guys. Maybe not every Sunday, but you know, much more often. Yeah, I'm, I'm, and, I'd like to just, just pray the whole service. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, I think uh, I think it was Charles Spurgeon. Uh, he used to have people down in the cellar praying that whole whole time. Where Charles came his church back door. Uh-huh. He was up there preaching and preaching down low, down the down low praying. Yes, sir. Yeah. Makes a huge difference. And really, I mean, you know, and you know the story better than probably any of us in here do, do but that's basically why Green Acre South is still here. Because there's a group of y'all who decided to start praying every Sunday. And uh, I know Jerry and some of those guys can say you can look at that moment when that started happening and see the Green Acre started, started growing. And so it's, it's true. It's a, it's a reality there. Um, a couple of manly examples for us here. Uh, one of them is Asher. Anybody know who Asher is? <laughs> Asher was one of Jacob's sons. Uh, he was number eight. And I, I couldn't find a good picture. You know, most guys in, in the Bible, you got a good painting of them or something. I couldn't find them. The only one I found was this. You know, maybe I'm thinking that I was wondering if that's where that thinker came from, you know. Um, Asher must have been obviously a very, very thoughtful individual, you know. He, he was the first one to strike that pose, you know, whatever, whatever that is. But, um, but Asher, uh, in the description of him, and I, oh man, I did not write this down. Um, let me see if I can find it real quick. If I can guess at the right chapter here. 
Asher has a really cool description of, of him. Yeah, here it is. Okay. Um, okay, this is uh, 1 Chronicles 7, verse 40. And it's talking about, it's, it's, this is a genealogy. So, it's, you know, this guy had this guy that had begot, 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 and all this kind of stuff. And it says, verse 40, all these were Asher's descendants. They were the heads of their ancestral families, chosen men, valiant warriors, and chiefs among the leaders. The number of men listed in their genealogies for military service was 26,000. And so right there it says that they were chiefs among the leaders. And so when you think about that, what that means, that means that Asher was raising men who was leading men. He said that they were chiefs among the leaders. Um, uh, another translation says that they were princes among the leaders. He was raising princes, basically. And so Asher is a good example of how he raised up his sons and his descendants to be leaders, to be men who led men. And that's what the church needs to be. Can you imagine how the country would be different if it was Christian men leading the other men? Mm. You know? But the first thing is we have to get that right here. And then we can get it right out there. And so we need to be men who are leading men. Another example from today is Tony Evans. Uh, the reason I put him here is because a lot of what came out of this, the second part of today's lesson came from his book, Kingdom Man. Um, and his example is that his dad got saved when Tony Evans was 10 years old. And he said that his parents were on the verge of divorce. But his dad got saved when he was 10 years old. He said immediately he could notice a difference in his dad. And that his dad, his, his mom, used to make fun of his dad for getting saved and for reading his Bible and saying, you're wasting time, why are you doing this? And so his dad would stay up late after his mom would go to bed so that he could read the Bible in peace without her yelling at him and griping at him. After a few months of him living for the Lord and making significant changes in his life, one night she came downstairs crying and said, I want what you've got. And he led his wife to the Lord. He said the next morning, he gathered all the kids around the table and he led them in the plan of salvation. And that's when Tony Evans accepted Christ at 10 years old. And so you see the legacy that Tony, that Tony Evans has had through preaching there in Oak Cliff, through the Urban Alternative Ministry, and through many other things, how Tony Evans has made a huge impact. And now his kids are you know, lead, worship leaders, and Priscilla Shower is a, a leading women's ministry person right up there with Beth Moore. Um, and um, all that ties back to a man who was willing to give his life to Christ and then begin leading his family as a godly man. It's his, his obedience to the Lord has impacted his church and has, has impacted his community. So you'll never hear about Tony Evans' dad if you imagine the legacy that his obedience has led to. And so um, we can make a difference. We don't know what it'll be, uh, but we can make a difference through obedience to Christ. And, uh, so I just want to encourage you in that as you lead in our church and as you lead in our community uh, to give it all you've got. All right?